Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. And we are working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. We'll be covering verses 21 to 23 today. This is sermon number 35 through the book of Matthew. Title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is not all Christians are Christians. Not all Christians are actually Christians. Huh? How can that be? What do you mean? Heard of a story. Maybe you heard it too. <laughs> there was this preacher who fell in the ocean and he couldn't swim. When a boat came by, the captain yelled, Do you need help, sir? And the preacher calmly said, No, no. God will save me. A little later, another boat came by and a fisherman asked, Hey, do you need help? Do you know how to swim? And the preacher replied again, No, no, no. God will save me. Eventually, the preacher drowned and went to heaven. The preacher asked God, God, why didn't you save me? God replied, you fool, I sent you two boats and you said no. You miss the opportunity. Not all Christians are Christians. It is the 4th of July and I couldn't help but reflect on a post that Pastor Greg did. I thought it was fantastic. He wrote this about our nation and our country. He said, I think Abraham Lincoln answered it well when he said, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. President Lincoln was right. We have forgotten God, and it's even truer today that when he made that proclamation in 1863, we've tried to push God out of the courtroom, out of the classroom, for all practical purposes, out of our culture. Will good ever prevail over evil, or are we simply doomed to failure? The answer to America's problems is not political, it's spiritual. We need to turn back to God. I love that. We need to turn back to God. Do you remember even in Jesus' day, the Jewish nation thought they were looking for a political Messiah who would save them. And that oftentimes is what America is looking for. We need the right person in power. Once we get the right person in power, then. But it's not true. It doesn't matter. There have been great leaders. There have been terrible leaders over the centuries for thousands of years. Good kings, bad kings, good queens, terrible queens. Doesn't matter who's in power, we still have the same problem with humans, and that is the sinful heart. It's a spiritual issue. We have to change people from the inside out. Then we will see change. Then we will see revival. Then we will see us loving and serving one another. Who do we need to do that? Who do we call upon to do that? We need God to do that. 
Check this out. There are over 2 billion, 100 million people in the world who claim to be Christians. 2 billion, 100 million, that's 28% of the population of the earth. Total population of the world in 2019 was 7.6 billion on the earth. We are increasing by almost 400 million people every year. Did you know that? 400 million new people will be born this year. That's more than the total population of all of America. A brand new America being produced, being born every single year. Makes us realize how small we really are, huh? But if 2 billion people are Christians and there are only 7.6 billion people on the earth, that would mean that we have over a quarter of the entire population supposedly worshiping Jesus. And I would love to believe that and hope that is true. I truly would love for that to be true. That is one of the many reasons I live is to see people come to Jesus and commune with God, the God who made them. But we know that not all people who call themselves Christians are actually Christians, followers of Jesus. This is not something we've made up. It's something that Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself, has declared. He says here in our text today that actually not all Christians are Christian. Not all people who say they are actually are. We talked about this the last couple weeks. Newsflash. Warning, right? You got you to examine the tree before you eat of it. They're actually wolves in preacher's clothing. We, ha we have to think through these things. We have to think critically. We have to learn to think for ourselves. And we need to think as Christ has called us to think. It is the church's job to produce true Christians. How do we do that, family? It is by doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, to go into the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Very important. I wouldn't even challenge that as the cultural world Christian. You ask different people what Christians are, they'll give you different answers. You see, a lot in the East... A lot, I would even say in Europe, if you ask them what a Christian is, they think of someone who is Catholic, is Orthodox, is in holy garbs, throwing gold things around, smoke and all of the rest in these giant cathedrals. That's what they think Christianity is. You ask people for thousands, or I should say hundreds of years, what they think Christians are, and they think of Roman Catholicism. So even here in L.A., when you say, I'm a Christian, people have all kinds of different ideas as to who you are. They don't even know, many, that there are, there are people like us who come to church wearing whatever we desire, just looking at the pure Word of God and studying it, trying to understand it, trying to walk, and love the God, walk with and love the God who made us, and just learn to love our neighbor. I have conversations with some Jewish buddies in the gym almost every morning we talk about something. It's fun. Because I love to hear the perspective. The question this last week is, he said, so what do, what do Christians really believe? Do they, do they believe that we are all inherently good? 
what is the position of a Christian? I said, no, no, actually, the position is that we are all bad. Bad to the bone, ba 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 bad The psalmist says that we were born into sin. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he's like, yes, exactly, that's right. He was shocked at my answer. He didn't think I would agree because this is part of the Jewish position, but this is so contrary to the rest of the world. The world says everybody's good. Everybody starts at good. I say, look at the baby, look at the child. You have to teach them good or bad. They magically know how to do wrong, and you have to teach them what is right. It's true. We have to go into the world and make disciples. Not just fill churches. You can fill a church. Jesus did it. Remember when he multiplied the loaves and the fish? That's why I did tacos a couple weeks ago, lastly. When they did fish tacos in Jesus' day, the thousands showed up. But then when he preached the hard sermons, the people left. And you see, we are called to make disciples. Not just those who on the surface would say they are Christian. The truth is that I can't make somebody a Christian. Only God does that. But there are means by which he does it. It is through his people. It's through the gospel message. It's the good news of Jesus dying for the sins of the world. The reason we're broken. The reason we're messed up. Dying for us. Taking the place of us so that we can be forgiven by God. Brought into relationship with him. Repaired as human beings. Then go on loving and serving other people. And introducing them to the God who made us. God calling people to believe on him. So much that they turn away from believing other gods. And other ways and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And follow him as just that Lord and Savior over their life. This is what we are called to do as Christians. The absolute worst thing that could happen to me, church, legacy, is to have a church full of people who claim to be Christian but are not actually saved. And they are just acting as Christians. There are actually churches in America like this. It's just religion. It's not a true, genuine relationship with God through Jesus. Some are big social gatherings. Some are people just claiming to be Christians because their parents are. It's a cultural thing. Because they were raised in it. Jesus today tells us in his sermon that not all people who claim to be Christian will make it to heaven. He actually says this. It's a radical statement. We need to get this settled in our hearts and minds. And as a church, know that everyone in this place is a true Christian. Going to heaven when they die and has a true relationship with the God who made them. That is my job. I need to know that I know that I know that each of you know the Lord. This is what is required of me. That we make disciples. That we make and produce by the grace of God real Christians who love God. Not fake Christians, hypocrites running around destroying the face of in the image of God, but people that you come in contact with are genuinely like, man, you love God. You're not perfect. Nobody is perfect, but you love God, and I can see that, and I'm thankful for you. You have ministered and impacted my life. 
We need people like that in the church. We need real, genuine Christianity. This is what Jesus is begging for today. This is what Jesus is pleading with his disciples for because we know that when it happens, it's magical, it's powerful. It impacts and changes us forever. If there is some confusion on salvation questions, I hope we can answer them today in our text. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Let's read three verses together. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand to honor our God and King as we read his word. Remember whose word we are reading, the Lord Jesus, speaking to us as a church, speaking to his disciples. He says in verse 7, take a look, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we stop and we pause and we realize that you've placed this in Scripture for good reason. Lord, work in us, change us, grow us, encourage us. Bless our time as we study this text. Lord, we just want to know you. We want to walk with you. We know that that produces life. Life in that abundantly, fun, joy, peace, rest, happiness, truth, righteousness, holiness. This is what it produces in our lives. That's what we want, more of you. We pray that you'd bless us as we understand this text. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about these verses. He says, these surely are in many ways the most solemn and solemnizing words ever uttered in this world, not only by any man, but by the Son of God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, who is with the Father, who came down to the earth and is telling men and women about the Father and who he is, he looks them in the eyes and says, I know of a day, I know of a day coming. Which people say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this stuff in your name? And sadly, I will look at them and say, I never knew you. I didn't know you. Why does Jesus bring this up? Because he loves people. Do you know that? Our God loves people. Do you know that God loves you? greatly he's passionate about you we are the apple of his eye his people do you know that he loves you just as much as he loves that other believer that you don't like <laughs> yeah that's right he loves him he loves her yep he's all in he proved it on the cross he went to the furthest place for us, as far as the east is from the west, as deep as the oceans. So my love is great for you. Jesus loves people. Our God loves people. That's what, that, is, 
that is the center of who he is, and that's why he calls us to do this, as being the second greatest commandment. Please first love God with all your heart, soul, soul, mind, and strength. How do I do that, Lord? By loving all of the neighbors around you. It's a helpful warning and urging to truly follow God. Why do we talk about this today? Because I love you, church. I want everyone here to enjoy the bliss of life, of walking with God. And I want you to walk right into heaven at the end of your life, doing these kinds of deeds that bring glory to God and bring blessing to yourself. It is not a burden to walk with God. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is it difficult to go up against the ways of the world, our own flesh, and the enemy himself? Absolutely, but man, it is not a burden to me to walk with the God who made me. It is joy, it's peace, it's life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that abundantly. We have the best lives because it's with God, and I want you to walk right into heaven at the end of your life. Do these kind of scriptures scare you, pastor? Yes, they scare me personally. What scares me is that someone could sit under my teaching and hear the gospel preached, be warned, and I still don't see them in heaven. That can't happen. I don't want this to happen. It cannot happen. Jesus says, to Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Could add LA in there. Oh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. 2 Peter 3.9, praise God, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, praise God. He is so patient with us. As a father, this is one of the hardest things to do, is be patient. To be patient is one of the most difficult things in life. For God to be patient with us, patient with me. You see this a lot of times, you know, it's like we want believers to grow. They need to grow now. Get growing already. Get mature. What's wrong with you? Man, I've been staring at my tomato plant for like a couple months now. Just please, please produce me one tomato. Please. My strawberries, I got, I got three strawberries out of it. The bugs ate two of them. I quickly ran over and grabbed that one. We rinsed it off and we, we feasted together with our one piece of fruit. If you're a farmer, you've got to be patient. Produce fruit now. And it's like, I'm sorry. This takes time. 
We want kids to grow. We want them to grow fast. We want them to learn now. They're not going to do it. Aren't you thankful that the Lord has just walked with you for so many years? He's been patient with us. Aren't you thankful he hasn't cast down fire and brimstone from heaven and just destroyed this whole city? Surely he is justified to do so. He did it to many cities in the Old Testament. But I love this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, L.A. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's patient. He's waiting. Isaiah 30, 18, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord God is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. How blessed are those who long for him. What a beautiful verse. Let's break down some of these texts. I'll give you some points to walk away with at the end here. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. What? I thought anybody in the church saying, Lord, would that's like an automatic win. That's a slam dunk in heaven. Jesus, how can you say this? First, not everyone implies that there are some who say, Lord, Lord, that will enter the kingdom. There are some that are going to enter the kingdom, but there are some that are not going to. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we need to first establish that those who call upon Jesus truly as Lord will be saved. There are some that will call upon him as Lord and they will walk right into heaven because they have made Jesus Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking of the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. To truly proclaim Jesus is Lord over your life is only a work of God and the Holy Spirit within you. He has to activate that. He has to do that work. Look, I want to magically just like get a little zapper or something and just start like, you know, what if he had some like spiritual, like those, those paddles, you know, to like bring people back to life? Just walk up and just like, bang, you know, we could just, we could hit people in the chest and all of a sudden they'd magically wake up and be spiritually activated and calling Jesus Lord and walking with him. If I could do that, I would do it. But all I can do is preach the gospel, preach the message of Christ, and let God do the activating. Let God do the saving. He's the one who saves. He's the only one who can do it. We have to call upon him to be saved. It's the only way that it works. We have to beg God to save us. Not everyone also implies that there will be some who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but will not enter heaven. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Did you know that? You walk up to a demon in this city and say, do you believe in Jesus? Say, oh yes, I do. I know who he is. Yeah, I believe in him. 
Even the demons believe and tremble. There are some who say they believe, but don't tremble one bit. Notice Jesus uses the words, who says to me, Lord, Lord? We see an emphasis on these words. Those who say, Lord, Lord. Not all who say they are Christians, not all who call Jesus Lord actually are Christians. An emphasis on the word Lord, Lord, which is a direct connection to those who are Christians or truly Christians. This is a self-delusion that has taken place. How can they speak as if they are Christians, but there is a separation from their mouth to their mind? Separation from their heart and actions. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They don't actually know me. They, 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 it comes out of their mouth, but everything on the inside is still dead. Even the demons believe and tremble. The difference is they don't submit themselves to God. They are forced to submit to God. The devil is on a leash, and so are the demons. They can only go as far as God allows them. Just look at the story of Job. Job, literally a righteous man doing his thing on the earth, just loving God, loving people, and Satan himself comes to God and says, hey God, can I mess up Job's life? He says the only reason you know, he praises you and worships you is because his life is so good. He says, can I mess everything up? He says, okay. You can test him, but you can't kill him. And we know that Job loses his business. He loses his family, his kids. They all die, 10 of them. And he also loses his own health. But he doesn't die. He loses everything. And then Job says crazy things like this. Naked I came into this world, naked I shall go. The Lord gave to me and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Incredible. But even the demons believe in God and tremble. They are scared of God. They are in fear of God. They have to obey God when he says whatever he wants. But they choose to rebel. They say, we don't want relationship with God. One number four, it says there in that verse, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The picture a moment of judgment at the gates of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a moment where people will be stopped from entering, and this is scary. It's that moment when you try to walk into a place you're not supposed to, and they're like, whoa, whoa excuse me. You know what I mean? There's just a bunch of people in line. They're all walking in. The guy's like, dude, I like, I like worked over everybody in the church and I like fully did the Christian thing. And also it's like, hey, come on in, come on in. You're like, okay, good, good, good. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't come in. Wait, what? Yeah, the Lord said he never knew you. It actually says that there will be a moment where people are stopped. They will not enter the kingdom of of heaven. They stop you at the door. I'm sorry you can't get in. Jesus talks about this in detail in Matthew 25. Just listen, let me read 
Let me read this moment in eternity. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, it's verse 31 of chapter 25, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the the left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will into eternal life. The measuring stick in eternity, one of them is the second greatest commandment. Did you love your neighbor? You can shout you're a Christian all you want. But 1 Corinthians 13 just says you're, you're a clanging cymbal and a gong if there is no true love there. And the only way to get true love is to come in contact with the one who is true love. To experience him. To walk with him. To be filled with him. Then that enables us to have compassion on people and to love and serve those who are around us, especially those in the church. We did it to the least of these, you were doing it unto me, God says. So take joy in doing it, church. Be glad in serving one another. Be joyful in laying down your life and sacrificing for others, for you're doing what Christ has done for us. You were loving God at the highest level in a very tangible, real way in daily life. It says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, this is the person who will enter the kingdom. The person who does the will of my Father. This dawned on me again, and I think it's about to be my new answer for everything. When people want to ask me, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about it? And say, you know what? I'm going to be about my Father's business. I'm sorry. I know you want me to do X, Y, and Z, all these other things. I'm busy. Busy doing what? I'm busy with my father. That's what Jesus said to him. I'm about my father's business. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I believe the NLT. It's a great translation. Look at verse 22. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, many. I wish it was the word some. Many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? On that day, the judgment day, there will be a conversation with the Lord Jesus. Not as some weak, wimpy, blonde hair, blue-eyed, peace sign guy with a sheep around his neck. That's not who he is. That's the picture and the image we see oftentimes of Jesus. He has a little halo around his head. That's not him. Instead, we will see him as a conquering king, a judge on the throne, God of all creation, the ancient of days, the ruler of the heavens and the earth, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And you standing before him, me standing before him, giving an account of our life and of our lives and a conversation will take place. And Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, the people standing there will say to him, Lord, the, the guy on the, Jesus there on the throne, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? He says they will say that to him on that day. Did we not do this? What does this mean to prophesy? To prophesy is to deliver a spiritual message, and there are many today delivering a spiritual message, no doubt. But it is not the message of Jesus. It's a false message with a hint of Jesus in it. I talked about this in, in my message called Wolves and Preachers Clothing. My, the best way I know how to preach Jesus and try not to get this wrong is literally just preach what he's saying. You see me doing this? Why are you taking so long in this book, Pastor? we just like skip a couple chapters already and get on with it? No, I'm just trying to do as best I can. I'm just trying to preach what I see him saying exactly. It's like, it, it almost feels like you just said exactly what Jesus said today. Yes. That's it. That's the magic. So then I can hopefully be able to say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I just say what you wanted what you were saying, didn't I say it? Well, you didn't say it perfect. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I fail in these places. I was trying to do the best that I can. Yes, I can see that. Thank you for being faithful. I hope he says to me one day. Amen. Thank you, Serge. In Jesus' name, amen. Balaam was a picture of this. Do you remember Balaam? Balaam was a wicked prophet in the Bible. He's noteworthy because although he was a wicked prophet, he was not a false prophet. Interesting. Meaning he actually spoke things that happened. That is, Balaam did hear from God and God gave him some true prophecies to speak. However, Balaam's heart was not right with God and he eventually he showed his true colors by betraying Israel and leading them astray. Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Judas was 
a possibility with this one, who was probably able to cast out demons with the other apostles. After all, we didn't know that Judas wasn't one of them and among them until afterwards at the Last Supper, at the end, right before Jesus goes to the cross. He was walking with them the whole time, and Jesus says in the upper room, right before he goes to the cross, one of you going to betray me. Everybody did not turn their head over to Judas in the corner with the dark cloak and the dark eyes. They said this, is it me? Lord, is it me? They'd say, yeah, it's Judas over in the corner. We already know, Lord, they didn't say that. They didn't know. Judas looked like them. He was with them. He was one of the 12. Can you believe that? With Jesus for three years, and he was a fake. And Jesus knew it the whole time, and he let him hang around. Unreal. We know Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of the devil. And it even says, Matthew 12, 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. They accused him, they said, he's doing it with demonic power, as if the Pharisees knew that this was a possibility. That demons could be, could be cast out by other demons? Interesting. In Acts 19, we see a story of this. In Acts 19, 13, then some of the Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> this is hilarious. The seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. They're walking around trying to be exorcists, and they didn't really know how to do it, but they're like, um... Um, we think this magic word works. Uh, in the name of Jesus, of the one who Paul preaches, we cast you out. You know what the demons say to him? But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And it says that the demons ripped those guys to shreds. They ran away naked. Lord, Lord, did we not do many works, mighty works in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? You remember the magicians and sorcerers on Moses' day before Pharaoh claiming to have the power of God, doing magic tricks, doing mighty wonders and works. Matthew 24, 24, listen to this verse. Jesus said this would actually happen. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great miracles. Signs and wonders as so to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. What? There are false prophets and teachers in the world who can do signs and wonders as to trick the people? Yes, so how in the world do we discern? You have to go back to what God has said. I'm telling you, it is the trick in the garden. Has God really said? As soon as you see a preacher, look, I love the very boring preacher. I love the very charismatic, outgoing preacher. I love everything in between. I like all different sizes and styles and cultures. I listen to so many different preachers. I try to absorb from all different angles. But what I'm looking for, I'm always trying to extract the meat from the bones. I'm trying to find the treasure in what's being said over and over and over again. 
This is the common denominator of truth, what God has said. And that's why I always try to point you guys back to that. It is so crucial and important. We don't need to be jerks about it. We don't need to be angry about it and sin. But we need to be fervent in it. We need to be able to discern. There may be moments of anger. Righteous anger in our society, but not sinful anger. We don't need to be tearing brothers and sisters in Christ down. This is dangerous. But we need to be discerning against false teachers and false prophets. Jesus is telling us there is a center line and we got to find it. It's Jesus. Many will say, Lord, Lord, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never, here is the word, knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. It is the word in the Greek, gnosko. Gnosko. To learn, to come to know, to get a knowledge, to perceive, to feel, to become known. The Jewish idiom for relations between a man and a woman, to know. If you read the King James in the Old Testament, you see a man and a woman were married and they knew each other, is the word. Intimacy, to know personally. Closeness. A father knows his son. A daughter knows her children. Intimacy, closeness. Jesus says, I never gnosko you. I never knew you. It's not about religion, you see. It is truly, genuinely about a relationship with God. Our whole society, our whole lives are built on relationships. Why all of a sudden would we think that the major relationship needed, the one with God, would be this religious, law-abiding, rule-following thing? You, you, you can't do that with your wife, with your spouse. You can't set up a hundred rules and just say, let's just live by these things and we'll see how it works out. Yeah, thank you. We've got to live together. We've got to talk. We've got to have relationship. We've got to communicate. We've got to thrive together. We've got to understand each other. We need to know each other. Intimacy. It's the same thing with a child. You can't set up ten rules and say, I'll see you later. You've you got to be involved. You've got to be engaged every day, everyday conversation, everyday communion, every day. This is relationship. This is what Jesus is saying, I never knew you. The question is not whether or not we declare we know God, but I want to know if God says he knows me. He knows you. You can say you know Michael Jordan, right? But I want to know if he knows you. People around this city all the time say, well, I, you know, I know, yeah, I, I know, yeah, I know, I know. What do you mean? You saw him like one time walking by in the store and you're like, hey, Michael, what's up, man? Do you know him? Do you hang out? Do you know God? Does he know you? Gnosko. Do you know the Lord? James 2.23, I love this scripture, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. What a treasure. 
What a gift. The text tells us that Moses knew God as a friend, as a man knows a man face to face, so Moses knew God. Face to face. Is God your close friend, master, king, savior? Is he your father? Or is he just someone you've seen a couple times? This is the one who outwardly can act like a Christian, but inwardly has no desire to obey the Lord and walk with him. No desire. I remember the day the desires woke up inside of me. I can't say that I like them. But man, I remember that I was convicted of sin. I, I couldn't stop it anymore. I knew there was a relationship building with God and I just had this desire to walk with him and I'm thankful for it. Because that's all I want to do is I want to walk with God all the days of my life. I want to love him and know him. I want to love people in the city. I want to love my wife and my kids. I want to go catch some waves, have a blast on this earth, enjoy this playground. Hopefully I invite thousands of people to come to know this God that we know. That's what we're doing. That's what this is about. We're not calling people to follow a hundred rules. I'm sorry, we're leaving that out there. It's not relationship. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what Jesus is talking about on that final day. I'm going to give you four ways to know that you are a Christian all the days of your life as we close to know that you'll make it to heaven when you die. Are you ready? Point number one, believe like a Christian. Believe Jesus as Lord and Savior over your life every day. Truly believe God at his word with all of your life. Even if you have a hard time obeying all of it, would you just please choose to believe it with all of your heart? And as you believe on him and walk with him, he will work on the Walking with him in obedience. It happens long-term with a child. Remember, he's patient towards us. My Eden is not waking up tomorrow obedient. Trust me. I'm praying for this around like 22 or 23 years old, you know? It's a long journey. I look forward to that day when she's 30 and say, Dad, thank you for spending all that time chipping away. Thank you. I have my own kids now, and I understand. Thank you. Long term, the long haul. I'm not looking for obedience today. I can't. It won't work. I'll be frustrated and overwhelmed. He is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish. Believe God so much at His word that it changes everything about you. Believe God so much at his word that it changes everything about you. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's the heart and the mouth. It can't be one or the other. It will be both and. If the heart is changed, the mouth will confess. But the mouth can confess and the heart not be changed. Interesting. We got to get in close relationship with God and believe on him with all of our hearts. Point number two, think like a Christian. First, believe like a Christian. Number two, think like a Christian. Think biblically, believing all of the Bible, believing the word of God. Not taking portions you like, but all of it. Pursuing a life of meditating on God's word and loving it day and night. 
There are portions of the Bible, no doubt, that are very difficult. This today being one of them. We have a hard time receiving all of God's word because we're not perfect like him. Thus, we don't think like him. We don't understand like him. And so there will be passages over and over that we come in contact with and we're like, what? This is your standard. This is what you desire for the human race. This is what may happen. This is what the future holds. Lord, the thinking is he thinks. Very important. It shapes your family, it shapes your relationships, it shapes all of your life. What's going on in here? Got to train this thing. Got to sharpen this thing. This thing will get out of control real fast, trust me. You know, keep an eye on it. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Psalm 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it, this law, he meditates day and night. Point number three, live like a Christian. Believe like a Christian, think like a Christian, and then please live like a Christian, one day at a time. Prayer, obedience, holiness, a witness of Christ. I'm trying to be Christ-like. I'm trying to be a good witness to those around me. I'm trying to love my neighbor as God has loved me. Let your light shine in the world, loving God shamelessly with our lives and loving our neighbor as God loves us. I do really enjoy that moment, you know, when, I don't know, maybe you feel scared uh, to proclaim you're a Christian or let somebody else know that you're a Christian, but man, God has tested me so many times in this city. It's just, it's over. It's just done. It's just like time and time again, I can never escape hiding. It's just not going to happen. It's, it's never going to happen. But I have to step into boldness in it now. And it's more like, um, oh, yeah, so what do you do for a living? You know, what do you do around here? Wow, you're out here on the beach surfing, you know, this and that. Or you're at the gym doing this. You know, hey, what do you, what do, you do? Uh, I oversee a church in Studio City. They're just like, what? Wait, are you a pastor? Yeah, I'm a pastor. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> they don't even know what to do. But the joy in it is when they've watched you closely, when they've watched your character over time, and then it all clicks. It's like, oh, I see. Yeah, I get it. That's why. 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walk with Jesus. Walk in his ways. Let your light shine. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God, your God, your Father. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. That's not the Lord. If you love me, you obey my commands. I love to obey my wife's commands. Why not? I love her. She wants this and she wants that. And she wants this and she wants that. And because I love her, I love to do these things for her. Jesus is not demanding obedience. He's saying if we're in relationship, if we're deep, 
in relationship, if there is that kind of love in our relationship, we love to serve one another. I gladly serve the Lord. It's not a burden. Love to obey his commands. They actually bring blessing in my life. Point number four and finally, die like a Christian. Die like a Christian. Believe like a Christian, think like a Christian, live like a Christian, and please die like a Christian. Best thing that ever happened, you know, I'm like preaching here and proclaiming God's word and the gospel, and maybe it's even when I'm like, I'm in this mode right here, and then I like choked and like died right here on the pulpit, you know? You're like, oh, it's terrible. Why would you say that? It's a preacher joke. Come on. I want to finish the race well. I want to walk with God all the days of my life. Family, don't do something stupid and abandon ship towards the end of your life. Don't do this. It's very odd to me when I see faithful men or women walking with God towards the end of their life, and then all of a sudden they just do something so random and out of character, and I'm just like, Whoa. wait, why? Why? I guess I will know when I'm older. I will know why. I don't know. I don't understand. Man, more than ever, we just need a faithful witness to the next generation. We need to hold the line. We need to raise godly families. We need to stay married. We need to stay focused. We need to keep our commitments to God. We need to die well. Nobody's perfect. We all make terrible mistakes. I make terrible mistakes, sins. I'm thankful that God forgives. But man, we have got to live and walk with God till the very end. Leave a legacy of godliness. No one wishes for death, but Christians are fully ready. Because we are right with God, we are ready for eternity. We walk with him through life and die well. 2 Timothy 4, 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come, Paul is writing, the apostle. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence, therefore, is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will ward me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love this verse as well, Acts 20, 24, Paul again, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. We've got the best lives. We get to go around telling everybody about the greatest news on the planet. Not a lot of good news right now. We've got the best news. God wants to forgive them and love them and serve them, bring them into relationship with him. Family, as we close, if you don't know if you're a Christian today, but you want to be, I'm going to pray for you right now and give you that opportunity to call upon the Lord and be saved. Let's pray. Let's turn to the Lord now. Lord, we worship you. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we realize that we have sinned against you. We realize that our sin separates us from you, but we also recognize that you died on the cross for our sins. You paid the punishment so that we could go free and be forgiven of our sins. And you sealed that forgiveness with a resurrection. You died for our sins, but you rose again on the third day 
to promise us a resurrected life, to prom promise us life in that abundantly here on this earth and life in heaven for eternity. And all you command and call us to do is to believe on that work, believe that you have actually done that work for us with all of our heart, with all of our being, so much so that we would turn away from all the other beliefs of walking in our own ways and living for our, ourselves and instead repenting and turning to you with all of our hearts, making you Lord, making you King, making you Master and God over our lives, making you Lord and Savior, believing that you are the one who is saving us from our sins, believing that you are the one who is Lord over our lives. Father, I pray, please, that you would forgive us of our sins. I pray, please, Lord, that you would become Lord and Savior over our church. Well, the heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're praying. There's some of you here today maybe thinking, man, I need my sin forgiven. I want to come into relationship with God. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Pastor Josh, would you pray for me right now? If that's you, would you raise up your hand? Let me pray for you. Let's raise up your hand as a sign of faith. God bless you. Anybody else? Raise up your hand as a sign of faith. God, God bless you as well. Saying, God, I need you. I'm turning away from sin now. I'm making you Lord and Savior. Anybody else? Would you raise up your hand? Let me pray for you. Father, you see these hands, and I pray right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you raise them to life? Would you give them faith to believe and to walk with you all the days of their life? Would you forgive them of all of their sin? Would you wipe them clean, make them new? Would you re raise them to life, resurrection power in this moment? Life in that abundantly in this life, and heaven and eternity. Lord, we pray that you would secure them into eternity, that they would walk with you and know you all the days of their life, that you would be their friend, that you would be their God, that you would be their king and their master, their Lord and their savior. We pray that all things would pass away and all things would become new. Bless them, fill them with your Holy Spirit now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.